This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, and welcome to another edition of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. We are coming to you right before Tennessee starts gearing up for the Sweet 16, their first appearance at this stage in the tournament since 2019 with a huge win over Duke today in Orlando. My name is Rick Butler. Joined with me, as always, Ryan Shumpert, and we are here in Orlando. It's been a long, how long have we been here? I mean, four-ish days, something like that? Four-ish days, yeah. Impressions of Orlando, impressions of the tournament, all that good stuff. Mickey Mouse City. <laughs> no, I say that jokingly. Uh, as Rick knows, I love the phrase Mickey Mouse to disparage anything just by calling it Mickey Mouse. And obviously well, this is literally Mickey Mouse's city in Orlando. But Well, we went to his house. We yesterday. did go. Well, I guess maybe not house, but adjacent like beach house or vacation house. We went to downtown Disney for a bit over this little stretch that we've been here so we've we've done quite a bit of things yeah but uh, no the weather's been great and i guess what i'll go back to you said we're coming no 24 hour rule for tennessee you can't enjoy the win for 24 hour you said we're coming to you right before they start gearing up for the sweet 16 ah uh, you know what if i if i could peel the curtain back a little bit i think i might have just mismanaged my words on the way <laughs> and i'd gotten enough into the podcast that i didn't want to stop it you know we're one hit it's wonders late. around here and that's the other thing. It's 11.15 at night. We're, we're in our hotel room once again. We didn't even do the whisper bit like last time. Uh, and like we've said, it's been a long four days. So we still got a lot on our plate, as does Tennessee, when they're uh, going to be taking on either the winner of number 16, Fairleigh Dickinson, and number 9, FAU. That's going to be coming up next week into the Sweet 16. Boy, Madison Square Garden. What a place to go. What a place to achieve this season. Obviously, Tennessee still has a lot more on their plate that they want to get to, but just for, for such an up-and-down-filled season, for, for so much, you know, there, there was a lot of positivity, but there's also a lot, of, a lot of negativity surrounding this program and all. And for them just to be at this position where they're playing in Madison Square Garden in the Sweet 16, with, I think we, what we can all say is, a, at least right now, a pretty good chance to make the Elite Eight after this next game, you know, that's a, that's a pretty remarkable position to be in. Yeah, certainly. And obviously there will be plenty of time to preview that and discuss all of that, but no, you're absolutely right. It very cool, you know, and the Madison Square Garden's only been three NCAA tournament sites there since like 1950, so pretty cool. Tennessee will get to play there. Obviously, uh, a couple of New York Vols on the team, uh, since Kai Ziegler will not be playing. A lot of the players, Olivier Kamwa especially, talked post-game about how they wanted to win for Zakai since he won. He wasn't here having that ACL surgery on Monday and two to get him back to New York. And obviously, Tobey Walker well is a New York City kid. So the Vols were back there way back in December against Maryland and Brooklyn. And uh, now they head to New York City and Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. Yeah, it's 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 going to be wild. So, like Ryan said, we got a lot of ways to go until we get there. Heck, we still got to figure out a winner from the game tomorrow, which is going to be on Sunday, to figure out Tennessee's opponent. But in the meantime, what we're going to be doing tonight for the next 15 minutes or so, just breaking down Tennessee's round of 32 game against Duke. You know, it, it was really interesting going into this game, and Ryan and I talked about it in the car on the way up there. It was fascinating to see how the public opinion was so far in favor of Duke, yet when you when you looked at the betting sites, when you looked at some of the kind of predictions from the stats and the uh, and the computer predictions, those leaned a little bit more towards a, a neutral game, a more favorable game, maybe even for uh, Tennessee a little bit, just in compared to what the public was saying. 
it was weird that that kind of favored Tennessee and in a lot of ways. That's that's kind of how it worked out. Obviously, Tennessee got the win by a score of 65 to 52 over Duke on Saturday in Orlando. I think we got to start with the obvious. This was the Olivia Kamwa show. He, he ate his Wheaties this morning uh, at whatever team ho- hotel they were at. Yeah, he did. It's what a time for him to do it. I mean, yeah. the most inconsistent player on a pretty inconsistent team has saved his best performance for the biggest of moments, and Tennessee needed it. You know, he it was interesting. He shot the ball well in the first half, hit two out of three shots early. One of those was one of those turnarounds that you know he likes to shoot a lot. But he only played six minutes. He was dealing with foul trouble. He picked up two fouls really in pretty quick, I want to say within like a minute or two of each other. And as is often the case, he spent a lot of time on the bench. And Tennessee was able to dictate the terms of the first half, bring him in the mud is the phrase they like to use. And then in the second half when there was more offense, not like it became just some offensive shootout, but there was more offense. Sure. Olivia Cowball came back in. He played uh, 18 minutes. No, that would be 16 minutes, a little bit better math. And uh, he was fantastic offensively, and Tennessee needed someone to step up besides Santiago Vescovi, and he did it as well as you can expect anyone to or ask anyone on this Tennessee team to. Yeah, that's the key right there. Obviously, Tennessee was in need of that second scorer tonight behind Santiago Vescovi. It wasn't going to be Meshack, only ended it with two points. Uh, you know, he's been, he's been fairly pretty good on the offensive end lately. It wasn't going to be Josiah Jordan James. He finished with just seven points on three of 12 shooting. So they needed somebody else to step up. You're absolutely right, Ryan. And it ended up being uh, Kamwa. He was extremely efficient tonight. 10 of 13 from the floor, three of four from three-point line, four of five from the free throw line. And then of course, grabbed about five rebounds as well. So that for 27 points in total, I mean, that is exactly what really in a lot of ways the doctor ordered. Just again, kind of going back to what you said, Tennessee needed somebody else to to be effective in this game. Somebody needed to take the pressure off, and it really helped that it was somebody who was able to do it down low. Now, he also did step back out and hit those three three three-pointers as well, but he was really able to do a lot of his damage around the paint. Man, there were just times where he was getting up to the rim over Duke players, in front of Duke players, and I thought that was really an effective way to play for him and led to effective uh, and efficient shooting. Yeah, you're right, and you you mentioned it, three three three-pointers that he hit. That is, he entered a game with 15. So on the season, so well above what he normally does. I believe he hit one the other night against Louisiana in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So now he's starting to hit more shots in the tournament. And then I guess two notes kind of on that and one with Cam Watt. Barnes talks about it all the time. College basketball coaches talk about it all the time. You got you got to make shots, and it's the most simple thing. But it's like really, it's real, it's coach speak, but it's really accurate. You have to make shots. Tennessee has won a lot of games this year, dragging teams into the mud. They haven't won a lot of games because they made shots. Second half, not that they couldn't have won otherwise. It was a 13-point win. But they won with ease because they made shots. 6 of 11 from three-point range in the second half. They ended the game 9 for 21, 43%. That was incredibly impressive. And then the last thing, kind of circling back to Cam Watt, he had 17 of Tennessee's final 19 points. I mean, that's that's pretty wild. And he had the explanation wow. point, too. That put-back dunk he had with about 50 seconds left took the – Took blew the roof off the Amway Center, and it felt like at that point that the game was essentially over. Yeah, they were in the O zone at that point. That was what uh, I guess the rafters of Amway Center is called to, to kind of match up with the Orlando Magic and uh, Olivier Kamwa. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly added his name to that list as well. Ryan, one thing that we knew coming into this game, Rick Barnes talked about it. John Shire, Duke's head coach, talked about it. But you also wrote about it. Was just we knew that this was going to be a physical game. 
Yeah. When these two teams stepped on the court, it was going to be a bunch of tall and physical guys. John Shire said, you know, hey, with all due respect to Zakai Ziegler, he, he is extremely important to this team. But now that he's not with the team right now, that immediately makes Tennessee a taller, a bigger, a tougher team. Maybe not tougher, but taller and bigger team. Duke was as well, I, I believe, the tallest on average. We knew this was going to be a physical game. You've talked about it a couple times. The, the team and the players and some of the coaches have used this phrase. Uh, we brought him down into the mud. That was something that Olivia Kamwa said after the game on the TV broadcast as well. Man, I, I think you saw that physicality. Even and I can't name them by name, and I apologize for that. But even Duke's players after the game were saying that you know, hey, this was one of, if not one of, one of, if not the toughest and most physical games that we have played this entire season. That seems to be Tennessee's recipe for success in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean that's their identity. That's the way they want to play. And you know, Duke is. In some ways, like not the opposite of that, they're a very much a half-court team. They don't get out and transition a lot. They don't force a lot of turnovers, which was a big big part of the game. Tennessee avoided turnover issues for what felt yeah. like the first time since Sakai Ziegler went down. But they're not, I wouldn't say it was a finesse team necessarily, but they're not a team built on their physicality. They're not a team, they're good defensively because of that length. You mentioned the tallest team in the country. Great rim protection from Lively. But you look at their offensive players. Jeremy Roach, really good player, but a smaller guard. Sure. And then obviously Filipowski, who was their leading scorer, the freshman. Uh, I think that was where you really saw Tennessee's physicality the most like affect somebody, was how it affected Filipowski. It was clear that's what they, they wanted to be physical with him. They wanted to bang around with him and make him uncomfortable. And I really think they did that. And I think to some degree, this is something that wasn't talked about a ton coming into the game, but the experience difference. Tennessee, very veteran team. Yeah. Julian Phillips and Tobey Walker, really the only two. Uh, freshmen, the only two people in this moment for the first time. Uh, Phillips played 19 minutes, and Walker played 11. So both, neither of them, yeah, 30, roles, 30 combined, but not you know anything huge. Sure, Duke, it's, it's Roach. He's the one veteran. It's, besides that, it's mostly freshmen. And I think Tennessee dictating the terms of the game and hitting him in the face with that physicality. That was something that I feel like maybe we'll see. Obviously, how many of these Duke guys come back. In two years, a year, Duke would be able to handle a lot better than they were in what was essentially for you know, 95% of their team the first competitive NCAA tournament game they played in after really blowing past Oral Roberts in the first round. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that until they brought out – well, I guess I, I did know that, but, but it really kind of put into perspective when they brought out the starting lineups and they put them on paper and put the classes next to each player, and you really did see that. You saw the seniors by Tennessee's names. You, you saw them on senior night against you know, who, I guess Arkansas, whoever that was then you're right, you look at Duke's side and there's a lot of freshmen. That also kind of stretches out to the coaching a little bit. I, I mean, John Shire is certainly a guy who's been around college basketball for the first time, but this is his first NCAA tournament as a head coach with Duke. Meanwhile, we know that Rick Barnes has, has been in this spot quite often, so uh, I think you, you saw in a lot of ways just kind of Tennessee's experience, Tennessee's veteranness kind of helped lead this, to this victory today. Just going back to the physicality thing one more time. Rebounding in Tennessee's favor tonight, 35-30. to 30. Not only that, but they also doubled up on the offensive glass, uh, Duke, in terms of 12-6. to 6. That's impressive numbers right then. Again, kind of contributes to the identity that this Tennessee has when they're successful on the court. Yeah, we, we were, I guess we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we wrote about it uh, going into the game, that that's going to be a huge battle. Both Tennessee and Duke were top 10 nationally in, adjust, or in offensive rebounding. They were great offensive rebounding teams. Tennessee was really solid cleaning things up defensively, and they were good on the offensive end. I think you got to give Jonas Adu a, a lot of credit. He grabbed sure. three offensive rebounds. Olivier Kamwa grabbed two as well, obviously, to put back dunk we were talking about a minute ago. So you're right. It, it was uh, what felt like 
a team effort uh, on the glass, but one that Tennessee was able to win. And, you know, basketball is a simple game in a lot of ways, and, and we talked about making shots. Another one, Tennessee took eight more shots than Duke. And when these NCAA tournament games, when they're tight, every possession matters, possession basketball games, taking eight more shots is a, is a huge, huge advantage. Yeah, and I mean, six more turnovers for, for Duke as well. That, that's where a lot of those shots come from. And Tennessee's defense was relentless uh, in the first half of play. I mean, holding a team as offensively skilled as Duke is just 21 first half points. And that, if I remember correctly, actually, no, uh, Tennessee... They did not, I, I can't remember how the first half ended, but either way, 21 points in those first 20 minutes, averaging just a point a minute or so. That was really impressive. They kept the foot on the gas in the second half. Duke certainly came back, and they got in their sets a little bit more, 31 points. But, man, just setting the tone in the first half was a, a, a great job. Yeah, to provide, I don't know if this is what you're going to say, but the, in the first half stats, Duke had made, Duke scored two points in the last eight minutes of the first yes. half. Tennessee used a 14-2 run during yes. that time to turn a six-point deficit into a six-point lead. And then a couple other defensive stats, 52 points from Duke, the lowest they've scored all season. And here's the kicker for one of the most storied programs in college basketball, the least they have ever scored in an NCAA tournament game. That is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, hard to believe in a lot of ways, too. You're, You're right, right, just for how historic and the longevity of their program. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You would have thought at some point, you know, there would be – a dud in there or a game where you don't score that much. But, hey, 52 is not a lot of points. And Tennessee's defense, you I mean, fantastic in the first half. Defense – or in the second half, a little bit of a slip. But certainly, you know, 31 points is anything to scoff at as well. And it, it certainly – you know, I kind of go back to Duke got really hot in the middle of that first half. But then late in the game, they missed some shots. And, and Tennessee did a really good job of rebounding them. And uh, – hitting some free throws, taking care of the ball against the press. Uh, there were a few dicey moments where Tennessee looked like they had some guards in trouble, but no turnovers against that press in the final you know, three and a half minutes when Duke started kind of revving it up. And yeah, Those were the type of closing things that Tennessee hasn't done a lot of this year. At least in sure. a lot of games this year they sure. struggled, and they did a really good job of it against the Blue Devils. They closed the game well. There's no doubt about that. Um, let me ask you this. As we kind of wind things down uh, a little bit here in the, in the postgame podcast, what does this tell you about Tennessee's offense? Uh, I, I think even just going back to the last couple day, couple games or so, we know that Vescovy is a guy who, for the most part, is going to get his, uh, even though he is probably the most game-planned for, game for uh, player in Tennessee's team, so on and so forth. It, you know that he's going to get his, and then other than that, it's just kind of which other rotating role player or, or you know starter or whoever it may be which one of them is going to step up kind of right behind him? Do you think that that's how Tennessee's next few games in these tournament, if it goes that far, are kind of going to go? Uh, do, is that kind of what you project seeing at all? Yeah, I think it's a good assessment by you. Like, he's – Vescovy's the guy they have to have. Yep. Absolutely have to have. They won't win another game the rest of the tournament if he scores three points like he did in the opener against Louisiana. And you feel confident he's going to be like that. I mean, he, he's been really, really good the, the final – Stretch of the season, and particularly since Zakai Ziegler's injury. And then after him, I don't think there's anyone you can say you feel super confident, you know, game in and game out. You're going to get that side of production from Josiah Jordan James is probably the next best guy you feel about. Olivier Kamwa is certainly capable of it. Yep. Um, but, and then after those two, I think it's probably more, no one's going to go for 20, I don't think, on Tennessee's roster yeah. besides those three guys. Um, but, you know, you're capable of getting double digits from Tyree Key, from Jemiah Meshack, from Plot from Plosich. Uh, even a Duke and 
get close to it. Julian Phillips can do it. So, yeah, it's going to have to be kind of a collective team affair, but it definitely feels like you at least need one other guy. You need Vescovy every single game playing really well, hitting shots, and you need one other guy stepping up and playing at a high level on that end of the court. Any other thoughts on the game today from either the Tennessee perspective, from the Duke side of things? Uh, any other thoughts? The one thought I would have, and I'm sure Rick Barnes even now sitting, well, I don't know, they're maybe on back in Knoxville already. Back in Knoxville and playing ah, in, a ho- nice. in a hotel room, yeah, would be in a hotel room in Orlando, wherever he is. He wouldn't say this, but those two fouls Jaros Plasic picked up in the first two minutes of the game, I'm not sure were too bad of a thing. When he kind of got that rebound, threw that elbow, sure. that hit Kyle Filipowski, and then really what I'm not sure was a foul in the second one, just a hard box out, and Filipowski fouled. Both those were costly. You know, they're. They're turnovers, essentially. You get a rebound, you commit a foul, and then you commit a dead ball foul on a made three-pointer, giving Duke a chance. I don't think they end up scoring off of it, but a chance to get a, what, five, six-point possession. Yeah. But I think that was exactly what Tennessee needed from a physicality standpoint yeah. to set the tone. And I think, again, Filipowski, that's the that's Duke's guy. That's their go-to guy. 19 points a game. They held him to 13 points, 6 of 16 shooting. And four turnovers as well. So he, he had a really bad night, and I think – that physicality Tennessee brought from the get-go, it, it set the tone. You maybe didn't necessarily have to have two fouls to do it. Sure. But at the same time, he ends up on the ground on both of them. He gets his a little cut under his eye from a in, in an inadvertent, that wasn't sure. anything dirty, but an inadvertent forearm from Jonas Adu. And I think that, I don't know if it had him rattled, but it, it set the tone well, and had him off his game a little bit early. To to exactly follow up on that right there, I was talking to Jonas Adu after the game, and you know he, he did kind of – Acknowledge the fact that they were talking a little bit out there and they were using their physicality and they knew at some point in the game that they were, you know, botting them up a little bit. And, and Jonas Adu used the word intimidating. He, he might have not come out and said that, you know, hey, we know that or, or we want to be intimidating on the court or, or we know that this, this, or this is intimidating. But he says that, hey, sometimes when all the right things kind of collide and, and frankly, it's a lot of the characteristics and a lot of the personality traits of our team, sometimes when those things collide at the right moment, it can be. An intimidating factor. I think you're right, Ryan. I think those first couple minutes of the game, when Tennessee was bodying up Duke players, when you did have those two hard fouls, when there was when there was a little bit of talk going on in the court, I think that that might have been a little bit intimidating for Duke. And there were certainly times in the first half where Duke just looked rattled. They looked shook, uh, and that was surprising to see, just considering how red hot they've been over the last ten game winning streak. So uh, I think you're absolutely right on that, and that it was a little bit of an intimidation factor. And who knows? Tennessee maybe knows that they can use this, use that to their advantage if it doesn't get out of control. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably what we talked about a minute ago. I think that's where a little bit of Dukes and experience came into, into play. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, so it is kind of difficult to look forward uh, right now, just all things considered, right? We're recording this on Saturday night, and uh, Fairleigh Dickinson and um, FAU are going to play Fairly on Lane. Sunday. So we will come back at some point, what, in the middle of the week? We're going to, we will be in New York in the middle of the week, but we'll find it at least some point to maybe do a preview uh, just about kind of the Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend. But the headline is this, the path to the, to the Elite Eight is viable, and it really will just take one more, I don't want to call the, the FAU and FDU non-quality teams. I don't think that's the right word. No. But it's going to take one more marquee win, I think, to get to that final weekend of the tournament, and that would really be something uh, something out of this world to say for this Tennessee basketball team. Yeah, and I and not to be overly disrespectful, I don't think Fairleigh Dickinson's a very quality team. Okay. 
There you go. They even win their conference tournament. They're the third worst team in the whole entire Division One defensively. Again, incredible accomplishment. They played great yesterday. I don't want to take anything away from them. I'd be shocked if Florida Atlantic doesn't win tomorrow. And Florida Atlantic is an extremely quality team. Three losses on the season. One of those being to Ole Miss. They fell to MTSU and UAB, I believe, both on the road in the regular season. Highest ranked or highest seeded uh, non or mid major non power five power six team in the NCAA tournament. If anybody left in the NCAA tournament, they have the fewest amount of losses. Obviously, the schedule plays in uh, a bit into things there, but this is a good FAU team. It, they're in whatever they were an eight or nine seed for good reason, and if that is the case, that is who Tennessee plays. As I think it will be, it will by no means be anything close to an easy game, uh, and it, it will be a great challenge and. Tennessee is one win away from the second Elite Eight in program history and two wins away from the first Final Four. So a lot out there for Tennessee to play for. Obviously some chaos on their side of the bracket and a lot of games still around the 32 games to be played on Sunday. But so far pretty chalk on the other side of the bracket. Marquette's still alive, Kansas State's still alive, yep. and Kentucky playing oh. at a very high level yep. still alive as well. That other side of the bracket's going to be fun, no doubt about it. Tennessee opens the NCAA tournament with a win over 13 seed Louisiana by a score of 58 to 55 on Thursday night. Then they come back on a Saturday afternoon and defeat number or excuse me five ranked Duke in a total marquee matchup in Orlando by a score of 65 to 52. Just a, a terrific 13 point win for Rick Barnes and the Tennessee Volunteers, led by Olivier Kamwa, who scored 27 points in the night, also threw in five rebounds to go along with it. We will come back at you very, very soon. I don't know how it'll be. I don't know if it'll be in Knoxville. I don't know if it'll be in New York. But we will come back to you before this Sweet 16 game against either FAU or Fairleigh Dickinson. But for now, thanks so much for listening to the Rocky Top Insider post-game show. That's Ryan Shumpert. I'm Rick Butler. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at rshump00. You can follow myself at rick underscore butler. But, of course, make sure you're following Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. That'll be at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. We are on all those platforms right there, so we will see you there. Otherwise, make sure you're just checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day. Until then, thanks so much for listening. From Orlando, Florida, right here at the first and second rounds of the NCAA Tournament, for Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Postgame Show.